Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Teardown. My name is Jeff Gluck, and I'm along with my coworker Jordan Bianchi. We are motorsports writers at the Athletic, and we are here to uh, discuss the latest news of the off season, the latest happenings as we get closer and closer to the start of the NASCAR season. Jordan, uh, eventful week it seems like uh, this off season has been busy for everybody. You've been Back and forth. I guess you're you're we're snowy Charlotte now. Is that correct? I am in snowy, ice covered Charlotte, which is very unusual for me. I grew up in Minnesota, so snowstorms and ice storms are very common. This is my first one I've ever experienced in Charlotte, and the level of freakout is off the chart. And I get it; like they don't have the equipment down here. This is on you know they don't deal with this a lot, but the grocery stores are picked over. You would think that this was like some week long like Armageddon weather thing. It's just basically going to be one day and in and out, but it's here we are. Look, I, you know, I lived in Charlotte for 10 years and I was absolutely in the mode of, you know, as soon as Brad Panovich, WX Brad would tweet, oh, you know, the chance of snow and he has the milk and bread meter kind of stuff. And, you know, everybody, you, you, you had to beat everybody else to the store to go get your milk and bread. And then how almost 90% of the time, nothing would even happen. Well, wait there, a second. How what? much bread and milk are you drinking in a day? First of all, like, I mean, do you really need to go and get that much bread and milk? And secondly, like you should already have like groceries at your house to get you through a day. It's not, again, this isn't a week long thing. This is a day. Yeah. But stuff can spoil because of power outages. You know, Charlotte gets a lot of ice. The ice gets on the power lines. It drops the power lines. It's been a big problem. They've had some, some big ice storms in the past there. People freak out uh, because the roads aren't treated well. They don't have snow tires. They don't have, they don't plow very well. I I did have one storm in the 10 years there where our, everything was like a total ice rink. And, you know, I was like, Hey, I grew up in Colorado, at least partially. And, you know, I, I, I can handle it. I'm not too worried about this, but I'm telling you ice with no snow tires and untreated roads, that's a whole different thing. You're just not going anywhere. You're not getting up the hill. I mean, it, you know, so look, I, I get your Minnesota cockiness. there, like, Hey, I, I'm, I'm used to the snow. I can handle it. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's different circumstances. The South's different. I, I will experience it. I've got a, uh, I'm going to take a tour. I'm going to go out for a drive later and kind of check it out. So we'll see what it's like. And do you have any food there? Cause you just flew back from, from Florida I'm purposefully fine. to get into this storm. <laughs> uh, to beat I'll the be storm. just, I'll be just fine. If not, I'll door dash it. It'll be good. How do you know door dash is out? How, I how checked. There's door dash. It's out there. Oh, okay. I'd rather someone else bring me this. So food is that, a, is that a nice way of saying you actually don't have any food right now? No, I do have food, but I'm fine. I'm not going to run out of food. I, I've got stuff in my pantry. I plan ahead. I've got backups. I'm not planning on being here, you know, locked up for a day or so. We're good. We're fine. All right. Well, the next headline will probably be 
Jordan wrecked his car on the ice, and we'll talk about that on next podcast. But you did have an eventful week, though. Uh, yes. Or, uh, since we last spoke, Jordan. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of terrible things, um, I don't know if any of you follow Jordan on, on Instagram or Facebook, but you put the news out, uh, bullet holes yeah. in your apartment. Not to, no, I'm not making fun of this at all. You're, you're chuckling. I'm, I'm taking this very seriously. If you had been standing at your bathroom mirror, we would, if, that would have last week would have been our last podcast. If I would have been laying in my bed, uh, uh, on my side, which is how I typically sleep, or if I would have been in my bathroom using it, I would have been struck hands down. And that is from the cops. That is from the police who came out, investigated this and looked at it. And they're like, it's a good thing that you were not in your bed or in the bathroom. Basically what happened was it was a single shot from a rifle. They determined don't know who don't know what uh, came in through my big window in my bedroom came, went down the hall and then into the master bedroom uh, bathroom. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And the bad thing out of this too, is I lost a nice hand towel out of this. It went through a hand towel. It went through a hand towel. I think. Wow. Well, I'm I'm glad that was all that was lost. I mean, do we do we have any idea who might have done this? I assume you weren't. I hope you weren't being targeted by one of the women who you took home from the bar at 2 a.m. that you talked about on last podcast or something. Well, you know what? It's funny you mentioned that. The cops did ask me like, "So is anybody mad at you or angry at you?" And I'm like, "Well, uh, how much time do you got here? And if you it, did, you see a video from September from Bristol by any chance?" <laughs> t-shirt guy he's been plotting his revenge all this time or or you know maybe people just you know are really tired of the podcast and that's, that's very possible or tired of me it's there's there's a long list of potential suspects let's just say that look i was i can promise you that it, it i had nothing to do with it i was not trying to rig the was it a good race poll <laughs> um which would have been the jordan memorial was it a good race poll it would have been it was it a good shot poll Oh my gosh, that's terrible. That's just dark. This is just not even funny. This is this was a real thing that happened. We, 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 I mean, Fine. we could have you could have come deal. this close to. Uh, I mean, that would have been very sad. But um, please stay alive as long as you can, Jordan, because I don't think you want your legacy to be the memorial. Was it a good race poll? Um, no, it'd it be you know it's a bad boy lifestyle. I leave Jeff. That's the way it is. Jeez, apparently, wow, what an what an eventful uh, week. Well, there was some eventful stuff in, in racing as well. So let's talk to that because yes. I know that's why people that's are, here for. are here not to uh, hear about it or, you know, your near-death uh, experiences, as exciting <laughs> as those may be. Um, Chili Bowl. I stayed up late for that. Of course, it wasn't cool. as late as East Coast time. But uh, did you stay up late for that one to check that I out? I did. And can I gripe about this for a minute? Like, Go ahead. I think it's – and I'm not an old man, you know, shouting at the young kids. Like, it, I think it's ridiculous that an event – that is a really cool event and people should get excited by or excited by or into is ending at one o'clock in the morning on the East coast. That, that to me is just ridiculous. You know, there's so many, I love the chili bowl. It's one of my favorite events of the year, but there's so many roadblocks for people who want to maybe check it out. hundred percent. Um, you know, and I think it, it, it's all part of the, I mean, what, what makes dirt racing work right now, starting off, first of all, is, is streaming services. Uh, you know, they're more accessible than ever, but you got to pay for it. And there's no intro offer like for the chili bowl, for instance. So like flow racing, uh, you know, last week I paid my $150 for annual subscription because that's the only way you could do it. You can't buy the monthly, at least that I saw. Some people said you could, I didn't see that option. Um, but the monthly is way more expensive apparently. Uh, 
So I paid $150 for your, which is good value. I mean, flow racing is fantastic. Great coverage, lots of events, but let's say you're someone who's like, Hey, I'd really love to check out the chili bowl this week. I, I don't know if I want to commit to like watching tons of dirt racing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't really, there's not really a way to do that because you have to go sort of all in. Um, number two, Mav TV. So I, you pay your $150 for flow racing. You watch the entire week. And then right before all this buildup, all these prelim nights, five nights of prelims on night number six, you watch all day on flow racing from the Q mains all the way up to the D mains. Then you get to the C mains and they say, so long folks, it's over on Mav TV. Now Mav TV is not exactly like FS1, which is a widely accessible channel. My TV provider doesn't get Mav TV. So the only options are find another TV provider or pay a hundred dollars for an annual subscription to Mav TV because Mav TV puts it on our only, the Chili Bowl is only our annual subscribers plan. So that's 250 bucks right there. Now I did find, uh, there, there was some workarounds, you know, whether you have YouTube TV, I, I did Fubo. Yeah, I did. Um, I did YouTube TV. I did the upgrade, you know, free trial, check it out thing. And, and that was fine. But I, I agree with your point though. There's no turnkey, easy introduction way to, Hey, I'm, I'm going to check this event out for the first time. It's you have to hop through hoop after hoop after hoop. That's not how you want to present your product to, to the masses. And uh, on top of that, um, after watching flow racing all week, which really, I mean, just top notch stuff. I think they do a fantastic job. It is a broadcast quality type, you know, from, from the announcers who know their stuff and, and the, the camera images, um, you know, it's not sort of like buffering Mav TV. Uh, I mean it, it, I don't know how to say this nicely because I'm sure people listen to this who work for Mav TV and I apologize, but it was sort of like an amateurish broadcast. There was a lot of glitches. There was a lot of, um, you know, they showed the wrong, uh, scoring after one of the heat races, like that showed Casey Kane made it, you know, during the interviews, you know, that it was feeds cutting in and out the drone shot, even like compared to, you know, like the lighting, it was like hurting your eyes and, you know, just watching them sort of side by side. It's like, man, this is not good for the showcase for the chili bowl, big event. Um, so I think you get that cleaned up, but the biggest thing you're talking about the timing. Now the problem with this, and this is why dirt racing can sort of never be, this is this is why yeah. streaming has to work for it. There, there's the a ceiling. Time. Yeah, there's a ceiling on dirt racing because it's not going to ever get on regular cable television or network TV because of what you're going to mention here. Yes, I mean you have to prep the track. Um, you have to take the time and do it right. Now it was 90 minutes, I believe, from the B main to the end of the A main. They reworked the whole track. They do driver introductions. They do more interviews. You know they do all these pre-race ceremonies, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it all takes time and it all adds up. And, and you, you know, I, I think last year it was over an hour and this year was an hour and a half. And they, they say, look, we got to prep the track. It's a 55 lap feature. We got to do it right. We got to get it raceable. We don't want just to have a crappy product for our, our big event. Um, so I get that. But, uh, the problem is, you know, if, if you're somebody who's trying to watch it, um, and you know, <laughs> There's, there's 395 cars that were there. So they started the racing, I think at 9am their time. And so it's not like they can really go much earlier. They've got to pack all the races in, you know, uh, they've got to give people hot laps and I mean, the races are, you know, a lot of races are only like eight laps each, but when there's so many cars, you've got to get through everybody, Jordan. Um, I mean, I don't see how you can start it too much earlier, but it just all is a frustrating experience. I saw the tweets for people, um, you know, especially people who 
maybe we're checking out for the first time and like, I can't pay this. I can't stay up for this or whatever. And, and that's sort of, like you said, it makes for a ceiling for how big it can ever get. Because, um, if you truly want it to be mega, like, and get, I mean, cause that's, you could put that on FS1 and I think it would do a good rating. Absolutely. Big star drivers 100%. in it, you know? 100%. Nothing else, no other racing going on, whatever. Um, star power. It's great yeah. racing. It's exciting. And it's, oh, a, so it's a short, it's a short format or a short race. So it's, you know, it doesn't, it isn't this 500 mile thing. There's no pit stops, it's just racing. And, and that's the great thing. But again, you can't have this end at 1 a.m. on the East Coast. And I don't not, going to sit here and tell you that I am a chili bowl expert. I am not at all. And you know, far more than I do, but, and I get that they start early on Saturday morning. To me, it's almost like, do you, do you divide up? Do you start the, the alphabet soup on Friday almost, or figure out a way that, so that way on Saturday, it's not so um, strung out. And that way you can try to get that main event out there at eight o'clock on the East coast in, in prime time. To me, that would make more sense. Well, I mean, the problem is you've already started chili bowl, uh, week yeah. you start on, you know, Tuesdays. Now it's, it's even starting on Mondays. Um, so they go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, prelim nights, and then try to do everything Saturday. I mean, I guess you could potentially move like the C, B and a yeah. to uh Sunday afternoon or something. That would be great. And that's seven days of being there, but you're right. I mean, cause you could, you could say, okay, look, there's not going to be a weather delay. Nope. It's indoors. So we know that. So you could, you could run the, the, uh, you know, two of the races, you know, whether it's where it's the bees or whatever. And then, and then you take your TV time out and then you say, okay, we're going to start it at this time. We're going to have the track completely done. We're going to do all our pre-race yes. ceremonies. But then the thing is, I mean, if that, that it's a, that's a very short feature race. I mean, that race itself doesn't even last an hour. Uh, I'm not even sure it lasts 30 mm -hmm. minutes, that mm -hmm. 55 lap race around a really tiny track. So, um, I think there are ways to make it bigger. But at the same time, I don't know that the Chili Bowl wants to, you know, look, you look at what they pay and, and we talked about this before and I wrote about it, but that whole thing about how they, they're keeping it at $10,000 to win, you know, they have absolutely massive crowds and everybody was saying even the Wednesday night crowds, the Tuesday night crowds this week were way bigger than they normally were. So you had tons of people in the building, um, paying pretty high ticket prices, um, pit passes, concessions, and then you have two streaming services not just one TV deal essentially, but two <laughs> and you still only pay $10,000 to the winner. Um, I mean, you could, I don't know. It just feels like there's, if they really wanted to make it huge, um, they could really like, and, and it is huge. It's a big, it's a big deal, but I mean really more mainstream, I guess. Um, the elements are there, but, uh, I think it'll sort of take some vision to, to get it there, but it's unfortunate because it's a great event. It, to me, it's the kickoff of the, the, the each year to the motorsports year, the calendar, and people are excited by it. And it's, it's always fun to watch, you know, the timeline on social media of people who really aren't into to midget racing, getting into it and excited and invested in it. And then you kind of, it seems like it happens every year. People are excited by it and then gets towards the end. They're like, wait a second, this is just dragging on and on and on. And you know, and it goes back to one thing I was thinking about too, as you've said, is and some drivers have commented on this is the lack of pay, which you wrote about in your top five a, a couple of weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. And you know, maybe this is a way to kind of move this event forward. And you 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 put it on on big TV, you, you bring in, you get some more money for this, and then you can kick that down to the drivers and raise that purse a little bit, which is something they want to see because 
$10,000 to win this event, as much investment you have to put in, you know, you're showing up, like you said, you're showing up on Monday. Some of these guys are here throughout the week. Um, this isn't cheap. And when you compare it to a lot of other races on dirt, on, on paved, and in terms of what you get for this, that it, it doesn't seem right. So uh, Tanner Thorson ends up winning the Chili Bowl. Now, this is a guy who once may have been sort of have a chance to be in the same pipeline as like a Christopher Bell. Uh, he was in the, he was under the TRD Toyota mm -hmm. driver development umbrella. He was with Keith Coons. I mean, he sort of had himself set up, but here's a guy who, you know, he's, I, I think I'm trying to say, uh, you know, I guess maybe a little bit abrasive, maybe a little bit difficult, uh, personality clashes with some people. Um, this was his, his sixth different team running the chili bowl with in the last six years. But he's always had the speed. He's fast. Um, he's always seems to get up there and contend. And this was the year he he put it all together. Christopher Bell dominated the race. I mean, really, um, he he got the pole. He won the pole shuffle, which is a great format, by the way. Uh, sort of like match races. Um, Christopher Bell started from the pole, and it looked like for a while he was maybe going to lead every lap. Sort of caught up in some lap traffic, and Tanner Thorson was able to get there. Bell was maybe in the process of passing him back. Uh, some lap cars flip right in front of them. The, they revert back to the last lap. Thorson gets the lead back and then bell just couldn't do anything with them, uh, from a single file restart for the rest of the race. Larson really wasn't a factor compared to previous chili bowls. Um, I don't think he really ever got higher than fifth. Maybe, maybe he got up to fourth briefly. Um, you surprised by that? No, no, I, I just didn't feel like he, uh, after watching him, um, on his prelim night, he got beat by buddy Kofoid. And that's why I didn't even pick him for my top three. Um, I mean, I thought he'd be, yeah, I thought he'd be probably around fifth, fourth, something like that. But it just seemed like there was some, some, uh, stronger, uh, running people this year. Um, and I don't know why that was. I mean, I knew he switched, he switched chassis this year. He has his own race team and he has, uh, his same crew chief guy is, is the guy that does all the sprint cars. So, I mean, they're a great combination, but it just seemed like they didn't quite have it. I never saw any post-race comments from him, but. Um, he was throwing some great sliders and, and trying to make some huge moves, but, uh, it just didn't seem like it was going to be his night for whatever reason. And, and bell was highly motivated after losing to Larson the last two years. And, uh, it really seemed like it, I thought it was going to be bell's night. Um, but I'll tell you what, Jordan, what really struck me is there was a lot of NASCAR guys in the chili bowl this year. Right. And, uh, seems like there is every year now. seems like every year there's more and more. Yeah. And, and, uh, but I think there was like, something like seven drivers who were in the cup series last year. And they really just, they, they did really well. I mean, in, in, I, I hate the comments from people you see online. They go, Oh, you know, they go down to a lower series or, or it's somehow lesser. I mean, the people Stop. who dirt do, do dirt stuff, um, are professionals who are doing this a hundred times a year. They race midgets. They make a living off racing midgets or sprint cars and, and they try midgets once a year for chili bowl or whatever. But I mean, these are like the best midget racers uh, from around the world. And, you know, it's just like, they're not, this is not like some lower class of people who couldn't make it. I mean, these are like elite people. So when you see Bell and, and like Larson dominating, it's, it's sort of easy to go, well, you know, they're just better or something. And they're, they're generational talents in those kind of cars. But you also had like Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who, um, you know, he he locked himself into the A main. Um, he he ran really well, and I think he got a top ten. 
Alex Bowman um, made the B main and, and he had a shot to uh, make it to the A. Uh, Chase Briscoe didn't have the, the race he wanted, but you know he's in the C. Uh, he's made the B the last few years. Um, Ryan Newman did pretty well for himself. But I, even when you guys, you, you go again to people who have less experience, like a Chase Elliott. I, I think Chase Elliott's doing fantastic for somebody who's only run a handful of midget races. Um, Carson Hosevar was one of the, the biggest surprise of the week in terms of, I think he, I think he tweeted he had six laps, um, in a dirt midget before he showed up at the chili bowl. And I think he made like the J main or something and, and was doing pretty well and, uh, had an engine go, um, stuff like that. I mean, you, you look at that and you go, wow, these NASCAR guys, there's a reason they're, they've made it to where they are, you know? And sometimes I think we can forget that when we just say, Hey, this is kind of a buy a ride sport. And you know, all you have to do to get a ride is get a sponsor and you sort of lose track of times. Like, are these guys that good? Are these guys as good as a generation before? And so I think when you show when they show up at the Chili Bowl and they outrun people who have way more dirt experience, vastly much more dirt experience, um, you know, Chase Elliott, even in the, the race of champions exhibition race on, on Monday night, I thought ran really respectable. So, you know, I just think that's a nice reminder for people like, hey, these NASCAR guys, they are good. They're there for a reason. And uh, when you can see them run well in an environment like that, I think kudos to them. And you saw NASCAR social media really, really it. getting into it, embracing it this Again, week more it, than it, ever. Yeah, and it's continued a theme, which we have seen really for the last few months, but even goes back further a little bit, is they are embracing the grassroots dirt racing element of this. You know, Kyle Larson wins a championship this year, goes out to California and does this homecoming thing and races out there. NASCAR was there and they were documenting it. They have they have gone on all of this, which is part of their ethos to get back to the grassroots and kind of reconnect a little bit because that 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 tie had been broken for a long time. And on your point about drivers, uh, I think long time NASCAR drivers haven't gotten the credit they deserve. You know, it's oh they race they only turn left they race on paved tracks. How hard is it? You know, et cetera, et cetera. But it's at the top level of NASCAR. These guys are good. Whether it's a Kurt Busch going to Indy 500 and finishing sixth in a race he's never ran before, in a car type he's never ran before. Whether it's Kyle Busch hopping in different stuff. Whether it's a Chase Elliott, you know, transferring over to dirt. The the level of talent at, really at the top rung of NASCAR in the Cup Series is incredible. And it's a, this is a way for another way, reason for them to showcase it. And I think people are starting to get better respect for this now. Because NASCAR's diversified schedule a little bit. They're doing more road courses. They're, you know, the guys are now doing other things. For a long time, it didn't feel like a lot of NASCAR drivers, other than maybe like a Tony Stewart, for a generation there, really weren't going out and running a lot of different stuff to, to really kind of put themselves on an opportunity to, to say, hey, I'm good. Take notice of me. That's not the case anymore. Uh, have I told you that I, I'd like to run the Chili Bowl at some point? Have I t- ever told you this? No, but I'd love to see this. I'd actually like to do it too. It'd be fun. I, I would, I'm I don't serious. like to get dirty. So well, you'd like to do it. I, I think I would like to run the chili bowl at some point. Uh, how much is it cost? 50. Well, I mean, the entry fee is like a hundred bucks. Anybody can, you have, you have no license requirements whatsoever. Um, they'd lowered the age limit to or the minimum age to 13 years old this year. So as long as you're 13 years old, you have to have no, there's no, Hey, you have to have this much racing experience. And, and that's kind of what's the magic about the event. It's sort of like a U.S. open where, Anybody mm-hmm. can try to qualify and make their way in up the ranks. Now it's all one week instead of like a series of qualifiers. But I mean, I obviously I'd have to rent a car from somebody or get somebody to I'll know, pay your entry fee. several thousand dollars. You'll pay the hundred bucks. I'll pay the hundred bucks entry fee. No problem. Well, Why do you want to do this? Um, I think it would be a great, 
experience just to see how, uh, you know, I, now obviously I say this, I, I would not want to mess. I would want to do this and not mess somebody's heat race up. Like if you, if I accidentally like took Kyle Larson out, if we were in the same heat race, on our prelim night. And then I ruined his week or something. That would be, I can't wait for that interview, by the way, that, that would happens. be very sad, but you know, um, do you know Ross Weiss by any chance? The name sounds familiar. He, he was, um, a videographer, uh, with world of outlaws for a while. And now he works for Stuart Haas racing, uh, doing oh, some yeah. content okay. stuff. And, um, he, he, he was the guy, uh, like Christopher Bell slept on Ross Weiss's couch and chase Briscoe, uh, when they first moved to Charlotte, uh, he was like their dirt connection. Um, anyway, he entered the chili bowl, uh, a few years ago, obviously no racing experience. Um, he ended up flipping, uh, of course, uh, that tends to happen. Maybe if you're, if you're don't have a lot of experience, but I think he had no laps at all and just went out there and ran a midget. But I mean, it was like, cool. It was like, man, cool for you. Like now he always has that experience, you know, like he can say, this is what it was like. This is what the feeling was like. Um, Zach Morgan, uh, who does some work with Bass Pro Shops that uh, he ran it a couple years ago, he also flipped, I think, unfortunately. So I, there's a recurring theme. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, obviously I don't think I would be going, I might flip, but I don't think I would be going fast enough oh, to flipping. get, to get hurt necessarily. Cause I'd be going so slow probably. I've but, been in the car with you. You do drive slow. Well, listen, I have two children, uh, you know, all that stuff, but I, I feel like there'd be enough resources. Uh, like even I, I was talking to chase Briscoe for a story, uh, this week about his chili bowl stuff. And, and I said, I, I think I'd like to run it sometime. I was asking about, you know, do they have racing schools or something? Cause I don't think it'd be good for me to get out on track with zero experience. No, I, a little practice would probably do you some good. I'm no expert in this, but it does right. seem that maybe like having a little bit of familiarity with the car with dirt would, you know, might do you some good. Right. But I mean, I live in Colorado. Who's going to, is there is midget racing out in Colorado? You come out to North Carolina, go to Millbridge, spend a little bit of time there. Well, see, all and this costs money, though. All this things. I think this is money. our goal for this year. Is next year at this time, we're not talking just about the chili bowl. We're talking about Jeff's Gluck experience. No, I don't. Racing. I'm not saying I'm going to do it next year. Why can't we do it next? Why can't we do this goal? We could start something right now. I don't have enough money to. I can't need a get enough money dollars? between. Huh? We'll find some. We'll find some. Sponsors. No, you need more than a couple thousand, I think. Don't you? I I, I don't know. You I'm, tell gonna, me. I'm pretty much going to tear up somebody's car. Probably. I mean, I'd love to stay out of the way and not be a factor, but I mean, I might wreck their car. You know, you got to rent an engine safety equipment. I don't have a helmet. I don't have a fire suit. I don't, they, I, I will mean, chip in a thousand dollars for this venture right now. You'll pay a thousand bucks. I will, this? I will chip in a thousand dollars right now towards this happening next year. And we'll start like a fun. Uh, I don't know about that. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know about next year. Next year might be too tough. <laughs> I mean, a lot of my money right now, extra money is, is going toward like diapers and wipes and, Lots of baby Another reason stuff. not to have kids. Well, I'm just saying at some point, uh, I won't be having to spend as much money on that. Uh, I guess I'll <laughs> spend money on other things when you have kids. But anyway, yeah, I'm putting, I'm manifesting this or whatever, as they say, I'm putting this out there into the universe so that someday it will, uh, it will happen before I'm 50. I'm only 41 right now. So, okay. Um, you got time. I'm I mean, in for this. Sammy Swindell was in it this year and he, uh, he almost got the record for most, alphabet mains advanced uh you tied the record i think he's 66 or something so um you know there's a lot of people who really don't have any sort of talent or just going out there and they just want to be in the chili bowl and that would be me so i i, I can join that and uh i can be one of 400 drivers or whatever and uh just as long as i don't i mean it would be a total disaster again like if i can you imagine like if i took some yeah, I'm rooting out. for 
I am rooting for this to happen just because I want the story. We're not supposed to be the story, though, Jordan. I'm not the story. You're the story. <laughs> I'm rooting for this because I want to cover the story. But I mean, is there any that's is there any other racing events in America? Maybe you guys could tweet me where somebody with zero, absolutely zero racing experience at all that has no idea what they're doing could just get out on the track with the t some of the top drivers in the world. Is there any other experience event? Like, I mean, it's Ooh. not just like some local track running street stocks or whatever, because the top drivers aren't going to be there. I, I would be there in a heat race with potentially a cup champion driver on the same track as one of like eight drivers in the field. <laughs> this has got disaster written all over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait. The good thing is, is that a midget car doesn't have a blinker, so you don't have to worry about not turning it on as you're making a lane change. Because I have driven oh, a few and I know what okay. like. I've I've been thinking about that a lot lately. I'm really looking forward to proving myself next time. Uh, maybe maybe when we're in Florida for Daytona, we'll drive together. Speaking yeah, of... Uh, I was going to say, speaking, yeah, of Daytona, speaking of Daytona. <laughs> nice let's segment. get off this subject. Um, Daytona, we need to work on this for the next year. This is the goal. Get Jeff in the chili bowl. Daytona testing is not something I would be approved to do because there's actually license requirements for this, but the people who were licensed to be in Daytona testing did get to do that. And you were there. Tell us about your experience seeing the next gen cars, uh, driving a pack during Daytona testing. I, th if you would have not known anything about the next gen car, NASCAR's got this new car coming in and you were just there and you, you the last race you'd watched was the Daytona 500 last year. And you're going now to watch testing. I don't think you really would have noticed anything different. Obviously the cars look different. We know that they sound different, but in terms of how they raced and everything, it, they were about the same. There was a, there were 17 cars there or so. And they did this mini little practice draft session that took 10 laps. You know, they put the field together and honestly, you're watching that and you're like, this looks very much like it would at any other time when you're at a super speedway. Now they weren't going as fast as they normally do. We've talked about that before. Um, I think they're about three to four seconds slower than what they were. The, this version of the car than the previous version of the car, but in terms of drafting and cars moving and jockeying and that kind of thing, like I watched any Hamlin go from the back to the front and, and just judiciously work his way to the front. And it was like, okay, like he's figuring this out. And it was interesting to watch him do this because you're, you're talking to a guy who's one of the very best at, on super speedways ever, like filling up his notebook with like, what can I do in this car in this situation? And that was interesting to see. But um, the big thing to me is what everybody's been talking about. The big takeaway was we've heard about the lack of parts and pieces for these cars, you know, a shortage, if you will. And that's, very true. Like NASCAR wanted that te thought teams were going to be able to have five cars by the start of the season. That's a pretty optimistic number right now. Um, you know, Richard Childress racing is going to have two cars, right? as two cars right now for each of its drivers. Um, other teams are in the same boat where they've got two cars and they're kind of like close to completing a third car. So that to me was the biggest takeaway is where this new car is at in terms of development and that what happens if we go to Daytona and, guys just start wrecking as they normally do whether it's in practice qualifying um the duels or are the 500 itself then where does that leave teams interesting well a couple a couple things there um and i guess they're sort of related i mean you mentioned watching the cars themselves test and and, and drafting a pack and stuff for their little simulated race look didn't look any different um but we still don't know how they're going to crash we don't we don't know if they're going to crash any different or, or um we don't know anything about you know, what happens when they all spin out or collect each other or 
door each other or, you know, do they go, are they going to go airborne or, you know, are those hits going to be harder for some of those drivers with the safety concerns they had previously had and they seem to be alleviated, but we don't know. We don't, there's, they've done crash tests, but we just don't know. And obviously that's not something they wanted to test and everybody escaped the test unscathed, which is great, but that's going to be a big unknown. I think going into, into speed weeks, because when does that first crash happen? Will it cause any problems, whether it's, you know, the cars or, or injuries or something? I mean, it's, it's just a huge unknown. And when it does happen, how will that leave the teams with the inventory? Um, you know, especially if it's like, if they crash in the duels or something, mm-hmm. for instance, I mean, that, that could be a real sticky thing for some people. And there's two things there about crashing. First of all, a lot of teams have, that I've talked to on the record and off the record have said they've all referenced Austin Dillon's crash at Charlotte, which happened, you know, uh, two months ago when he got hit a wet spot on the racetrack in turn two and walloped the wall. Like he had a really hard wreck, but that team was able to bring that car back to the shop and they were on that. They were back at the track they could, and ready to race that night. So there's a belief that this car can withstand hard hits and you're able to rebuild it relatively quickly. That's encouraging. But like you said, Real-world scenarios in an actual race at Daytona, at Tadega, is much different than a practice crash and everything. And the second thing is, you mentioned it. It's like there's parts and pieces. There's not a lot of these right now, and there's a little bit of a shortage. And while there's some confidence of we're going to get through this, we're going to be fine, et cetera, et cetera, you don't know. And we have been, and you know this better than I because you were there in 2013 when NASCAR last had a new car, but what happens though? I mean, if you start wadding up race cars and it's very common for a team to go to Daytona speed weeks and lose two cars before the 500 even starts. And so then what happens? Well, I mean, I, I think you're going to have to approach it conservatively. You're just going to have to. Um, and I know that they're not going to approach the race conservatively, but leading up to that, you really don't want to put yourself in situations, uh, that are going to be dicey at all. And I know you have to learn to some extent. And even that the testing looked like, Whoa, those are, I mean, Hamlin, Logano is like getting sketchy there for a second, but, um, once you and get me, down there, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, it's your point about the testing. I think you're going to see that a lot of these guys, like the Hamlins, Logano's, the guys who are in this test, I think have a significant advantage right now because they're going to be able to go to the Daytona 500 speed weeks and they don't have to really run in a draft. They kind of have a feel for it. They may do it a little bit, but they're largely going to have an idea for what it is. So they can kind of just go out there and do single car runs. However, the guys who are at the Chili Bowl that we talked about, Kyle Larson, Chris Rebell, Stenhouse did test, um, but Alex Bowman, some of these guys, Chase Elliott, they were not at this test. So when they go to Daytona in a couple of weeks for Daytona 500, um, they're not going to have any familiarity with this. Are they going to need to do some drafting practice to get used to the car and get what, what it does and all the nuances of it? And if they do, as you said, Jeff, this increases the likelihood that something happens. So I do think there was a benefit of being at this test. Well, and, and all of Stuart Haas racing was not there as well. Very true. Um, so, you know, that leaves some questions for, for them maybe, but, um, I don't know. I, I think that it's ultimately going to come down to, I, I, I would think, okay, let's say I'm one of the veterans in the series and I'm a good plate racer with experience. I don't really want to show my cards too much. Cause I probably have an idea of what I'm doing, of how I think drafting works and who I want to work with. I don't want people to learn too much. So, because I, I think my best advantage would be to go into a race and say, okay, this is what I want to do. I'll let other people make these mistakes. 
And I have this information in my head of like, okay, yeah, you guys do that. I'm, I'm going to work with this guy or I'm going to stay back or I'm going to, this is how I make my move at the end. And this is how I think these cars will draft with that or handle with that. Um, so I don't want to show my cards too much. I don't want other people to learn too much about it. So I think what I would say is, yeah, guys, this is gonna be too dangerous. I really want to mess up my stuff. I don't think I'm going to, I don't I wouldn't go out in a pack, you know? Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. The, the gamesmanship and the games that are played, you know, with, with the people that are like Keselowski or Blaney or Logano, Hamlin, guys who already know what they're doing. They really don't even need, I don't think too much practice to see, uh, you know, so to, to your point there, those guys who are already there, um, they, they probably do have a little bit of an edge cause they probably have, uh, some questions answered in their head. Speaking of, uh, people that weren't there though, we talked about, um, good restrictor plate racers. Some, some of them not being there. Eric Almarola uh, wasn't there because Stuart Haas skipped the test, but he also came out that he is retiring at the end of this season. Um, any thoughts on that? What's your first reaction to that news? Surprised, but not surprised that that makes any sense. Um, you know, Eric's status with Stuart Haas racing has kind of been up in the air the last couple of years or whether he was going to return or not return. Um, we know he's closely tied with Smithfield there. Uh, it's, you know, so in that sense, you know, as, as sponsorship kind of shifts and everything, and we know Smithfield's going through some changes right now, you know, if Eric doesn't have that sponsorship in place for the future, what is his, how secure is his ride at Stuart Haas racing? You know, the answer is we don't know, but I think Eric is a driver who's proven himself that belongs in the cup series. And I was looking at his numbers this weekend. Let me ask you this, Jeff, are, are we properly rating Eric Almarola? I looked at his career. Like he's made the playoffs each of the last what four years. Um, he's he's won some races. He's competitive. I, to me, he's almost like a guy who maybe doesn't get as much respect as he deserves. Really, I feel yeah. like he's properly rated. Uh, I don't know. You know. I just feel like he's kind of like I don't know. I mean, he's I won think... he's won three races um, in ten full time seasons. Uh, yeah, yeah, some partial he... seasons too. Two of them were stricter plate races, but you can't take that away. He's a good plate racer, but. Um, until that victory at New Hampshire last year, he hadn't won a non plate race. Um, I mean, yeah, he, he's relatively consistent, does enough, but I mean, he's been in pretty good equipment at times, uh, especially, well, I mean, particularly the Stuart Haas years. Um, I don't know. He's won three Xfinity races, two truck races. He's had, okay. He's had okay career. I mean, I don't think it's you know, it's obviously not like hall of fame worthy or, or anything close to that. Uh, I just think it's a, I mean, it, it, I don't think he had a huge sort of impact on anything. Um, you know, during these, these 10 seasons, as far as like, you're like, man, you got to watch out for Eric Almarola. Like, I mean, he's had some times where he got hot and you're like, Oh, maybe there's some potential here. Maybe they're turning the corner. Um, they're running well right now, but it just never, it just never seemed to all really like come together based on, Remember, I mean, he was pretty hyped early on when he was at yeah. uh, JGR um, mm -hmm. in their sort of development program and uh, the diversity program, I think, that Reggie White had started back in the day. Uh, remember, he infamously was um, pulled from the car for Denny Hamlin when Hamlin helicoptered into the Milwaukee mile. mile and then, uh, uh, you know, he was credited with the, the race win, even though Hamlin finished the race. Um, so I guess one of those three... Uh, victories that I said was actually not his, his victory, right? Uh, the 2007 Milwaukee that, you know, he's, uh, that, that was a Hamlin win technically, but he started the race because Hamlin was late getting there from the cup track. 
Um, you remember that whole thing, right? I do. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I just, to me, he's always been somebody who's kind of a, the butt of a lot of the jokes and you know, whether he's, you know, whether he actually belongs with a good team. I don't know about that. No, I, I don't think he's a butt of jokes. I, I don't think he's like, I don't think people uh, are like, man, this guy stinks. I just don't think, I mean, people are like, yeah, he's, he's good. He's capable, but you know, he, in order to get, you know, recognition in NASCAR, you have to win. Yeah, um, I will say this, making though. the playoffs is good, but yeah, you, yeah, you mentioned he's been racing ten years in the Cup Series. That, that that is true, but he's only been with a team capable of winning races, like consistently good, right? You know, being consistent with for the last few years. I mean, before Stuart House Racing, it was Richard Petty Motorsports, and you know that's that's but tough. He was with he was with uh, DEI early on that turned into Earnhardt Ganassi. Yeah, but that team was a um, mess at the time, and he was running part time too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, but I mean, you're right. He did spend a lot of time with with Petty, um, which is obviously they've had their their ups and downs. But um, it's an I interesting mean, career. He's been, he's been with Smithfield. Uh, what he's 18, 19, 20, 21, four, four seasons with them. Longer than that, they go uh, back sorry, to Richard with with Petty Stuart Stuart Haas. I meant yeah. not Smithfield. He brought Smithfield to Stuart Haas. I was trying to say uh, four years ago. Um, so in those four years, he has two wins. Uh, like you said, he's made the playoffs all four years. Respectable. Certainly, but I don't think we're like underrating him necessarily. Is yeah. that's that's where I was coming from. Oh, you, I, I guess you didn't answer. The uh, were you surprised by the announcement? Um, yeah, I guess a little bit, just considering his age, because you would think like, hey, there'd be more to do. Um, or you know, he's he's probably still sort of in in his prime years, but at the same time, it's like. I mean, he's 30, he's turns 38 in, uh, in March. So you're seeing drivers race into their forties. So I guess from that standpoint, I'm a little bit surprised, but he's definitely a family man. Uh, he's, you know, he's been very clear about, um, you know, his, his, his kids, how much he loves spending time with them. And maybe you get to a point where you're just like, yeah, you know, I'm probably never going to be above, you know, a one win a year type guy or, or, um, you know, maybe, maybe you're not going to, you know, regularly get out of the first round of the playoffs. Like, why am I doing this? Do I really want to just keep doing this for my, that one win a year? Is that going to prove anything? Um, you know, if you have enough money to do it and you can spend time with your kids and you don't have to travel and you know, Hey, that's a luxury. Like not a lot of people have, I think in this world. So, um, he'll probably run some stuff still, but I asked him that. He said know. he he planned. You know, he. I asked him, is this like a full time, like you're retired kind of deal? Or are you still going to come back and do one offs? And he definitely left the door open to do some one offs this year. So I have another question for you. Mm-hmm. You're Stuart Haas Racing. Who do you replace him with? Who do you go get? Um. Well, I haven't. I guess we haven't really talked about the upcoming free agents. Is Tyler Reddick a free agent? Yes. Well, I guess if you could throw enough money at Tyler Reddick. I think he's going to be the hottest name you're going to hear a lot this year. This this year, I think he, from the conversation I've had with people, he's going to be the guy that a lot of teams are inquiring about, big teams. I mean, let's face it. If the other big teams had an opening, I would also go after, you know, if, if Hendrick had an opening, I'd go after Tyler Reddick. They don't have an opening. If Gibbs had an opening, which I don't think they do, um, I don't see where, where he would fit in. And, and besides, they probably want to get Ty Gibbs in there for their next cup guy, not uh, a guy from the outside. They, they're, they seem to be pretty stocked up right now. Um, so they don't really have any room. Um, but, you know, Penske, obviously, they don't have any room. They don't, unless they decide to add a car. 
And Ryan Blaney's contract's up too. Now I'm not trying to start anything, so don't read into this. I'm just saying that it's not inconceivable that he somehow could end up at Team Penske. Yeah, I mean, if you're Penske, you really want to invest in Blaney for 100. Uh, I, I, I'm not. If I'm Team Penske, I'm locking up Blaney to a long-term contract today. But I'm also going to go inquire about Tyler Reddick, and then I'm going to say, okay, wait a second here. Can we add another car? Is there a way to do this? That's a lot of money. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean, I'm you not saying it's easy, but I'm just saying it's you know. Yeah, I, th- I think they seem. I mean, I don't know this, but it seems like they've indicated they're happy with three cars. Otherwise, they would have sure. expanded. But they kind of have four the now. Charter with, with Wood Brothers too. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I'm just saying. So I guess you know, in terms of teams who have an opening and. If Tyler Reddick does want to make the jump now, I think this new car will tell us a lot though. Like if you're Tyler Reddick, I don't think you want to start talking that way until you look at the landscape because our idea of, Oh, the big teams are so much better I don't know. Right now. Like how do you know that Stuart Haas is going to be any better than RCR unless well, the money mm-hmm. is better, like way yeah. better. And you just say, and hey, let's I'd be like honest. To- you look at what Stuart Haas did last year. Now, Kevin Harvick had a, good year by anybody's outside of any his own expectations he had a pretty good year but he didn't win a race and that organization as a whole struggled so there's no guarantees that they're going to turn around this year that's true but i mean you would probably rather be i mean as a driver would you not rather be with a four-car team because you just feel like they have more resources or i mean maybe you want to be with a two-car team because you feel like you might get lost in the shuffle and you have more of an impact on performance and input uh, getting it to your liking, maybe if you're on a bit smaller team, but I don't know. Yeah, to me, I want to be in a situation where I can win races. And if it's with a four car team with a Stuart Haas racing, where I know they're going to give me great equipment and I can go and, and do it, then I want to be there. If it's with a two car team, like a Roush, uh, Fenway Keselowski racing, say that, by the way, to say that it, like, I have to pause in my head because I'm so not used to saying RFK. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, if they if you can go over there and with this new car and they can they're going to be competitive over there. I just want to put myself in the best situation to win races, and I think Tyler's Tyler's a guy who is showing that he can do that at this level. I think he's going to win a race soon in the Cup Series, and I think he's going to be. I, I know he's going to be a, a driver that a lot of teams are are looking at. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So uh, this week, Jordan, um, the Hall of Fame is coming up. And uh, there was a little bit of a social media outcry um, probably landed on a lot of your radars uh, who listen to this show since you're pretty into NASCAR. Obviously, by listening to this, it means you're, I would say, a hardcore NASCAR fan. Otherwise, I don't know why you'd listen to this podcast. But um, yeah, so uh, the, the widow of Mike Stefanik, who, who he's getting inducted into the hall this year, um, she posted, I believe, on, on Facebook, uh, you know, basically this is the speech that I wanted to give and they're not going to let me give this speech. Essentially I'm, I'm paraphrasing um, very beautiful, heartfelt speech. And people started, you know, obviously asking the question, why would you not let her make this speech? Like, don't the families get to talk? Um, obviously, 
you know, once it starts catching fire, you ask NASCAR about it and NASCAR's position was, well, we haven't had the, um, deceased, uh, family members of the deceased give the actual acceptance speech or the induction speech, I guess, since like 2016 or something, I think it was, um, they have had short, like, uh, brief, like two or three minute things from a family member. Um, if the person is deceased, but they haven't had like a full, the full eight minute speech. Um, after the social media outcry, NASCAR basically went back on that. And I mean, Dale Jr. Tweeted about it as well. And said, I, you know, I, I would like to see this change. He's obviously going in, uh, this year, but, and you know, it makes sense because look, I mean, there's only three people getting inducted this year. It's on Peacock. It's not even, they don't have to fit it into a TV window. So you would say, why didn't they, why would they not just let everybody make an, an eight minute speech, uh, related to who's going in or whatever. But, um, obviously I guess that just since they hadn't been doing it, they just didn't think to do it. They've changed their policy. So maybe that's getting resolved. But, uh, anyway, any, any thoughts on that whole kerfuffle? Um, uh, I agree with everything you said. I mean, NASCAR, you know, not only three people are going in, there, there should be more time and a larger window to give everybody an opportunity to, to speak about the inductees. And that's what the hall of fame ceremony should be about. And, whether the person's living or deceased, I to me, I just don't like how it played out on social media. Um, I felt when this got out there originally, I felt it was a little disingenuous because we weren't hearing all of the story. It felt like originally where it was, oh, wait a second, NASCAR's got this new policy or they're cracking down or something like that. That's not the case. There's, this isn't like something they decided you know, in the last couple of months. This has been the policy for the last few years. And that had gotten missed originally. And I felt like that was a little bit of a disingenuous and it felt like, I mean, you want to honor your late husband, uh, understandably so. And I guess you, accompl- you accomplished that goal, but I feel like the path to get there was a little bit, uh, I don't know if everything, it wasn't a full disclosure along the way, if that makes sense. I, I really don't, I don't have a problem with, uh, I don't have a problem with it, with how she did it. I think that um, you know, at no point did she say like, "Hey, I know this is NASCAR's policy since you know X year." It was there. NASCAR's not letting me do this, and it was like the way she presented it originally. At least my interpretation when she presented originally was like, "NASCAR is not letting me do this, and they're not telling me how." And that's not the case. I mean, look, you you want change to happen. Um, you know, I think I even saw Liz Allison tweet about how upset she was uh, a few years ago that they weren't able to speak uh, on on Davy's behalf. Um, and you know what what she's able to do now is she's paved the path for future family members to be able to speak. Who wouldn't want to be honored, be able to honor their family member? It's an eight minute speech, and the fact, especially that it's no longer on actual TV. No offense to Peacock, but as we just talked about early in the show, streaming a streaming window for a program is completely different because they don't have to get off air for another program. So if you're inducting someone into the hall of fame and honoring them, why not let them speak? Um, if she is, the, you know, pointed this out, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know her motivations precisely or, or in, in terms of how she was positioning it, but I don't have a problem because the end result is she's going to get to honor, um, her husband, um, and the family's going to be there and it's going to be a, a huge moment for them. Anybody who's experienced loss, uh, I'm sure that will be 
very, um, you know, it'll feel very rewarding and heartwarming, uh, to have the chance to do that. Um, and you know, feeling like, you know, your loved one is present and stuff. So, you know, who cares if you, if you hurt some feelings with NASCAR, the policy was kind of dumb to begin with and now it's fixed. So I don't have a problem with it. That's my position. Okay. Fair enough. We're going to agree to disagree. Um, listen, you, Jordan, you don't, you've already had bullet holes. I'm not against this. Like I want all the hall of fame inductees to have their moment, whether they're living or not. I want them to be presented. I want them to have the opportunity to speak. And I think they should. I just don't like how this process played out. That's all. Well, welcome to the world where, uh, social media gets things done, Jordan, including, um, whether it's you telling you tweeting in an airline saying, you stink for delaying my flight. And then they say, here's a flight credit. And we also put you on the very next flight, but they weren't going to do it until you tweeted at them or something. Um, not you specifically, but people, yeah. you know what I mean? Or, uh, you know, the, the, the five fifty package sucks. Uh, you know, all that kind huh. of thing. And, and you ever maybe, tweet that Jeff? I don't think in, in so many words, but you know, I'm just saying that, you know, social media, people want to downplay it. Oh, not that many people are on social oh, media. No. It's just, it's, it, it's, it has power. So, uh, you know, you got to use it. Um, it's a plat, you know, they used to say, uh, that the, the writers, the power of the pen, uh, you know, newspaper writers and stuff like that, you know, had all the power, but everybody, if you have, if you can get something to go viral on social media now or, or get traction with something, anybody can sort of make a difference for what position they, they want to, uh, try to fight for. So I think this is a, a noble one. And, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think she would have any regrets over how she went about it. So that's just, again, there you go. my take. Um, you know, the clash is, is approaching. And uh, just before we started recording this podcast today, Sunday, as we record this, the news came out that Ice Cube is going to do a mid-race uh, show. Obviously, Ice Cube um, from, I mean, the Coliseum is basically very close to South central LA Compton area. So you have a West coast rapper with those kind of roots coming into a show. Um, I think that's pretty cool. Pitbull is already going to do the pre-race concert. Now you have a mid-race concert. I see some people, I got some tweets already before we start this. This is the kind of stuff I hate. I can't take NASCAR serious anymore. They're going to stop the race for a concert, blah, blah. It's an I've exhibition. Always felt this exactly. It's an exhibition. It's like the all-star race. Remember the year that like, wasn't it the all-star race? Uh, the red hot chili peppers were like playing as the cars were going around the track. Oh or something. yeah. Like, that was a, ago, like, was a couple uh, years ago or something. Wasn't it? I, I think we're dating ourselves here. I think that was at least 10 I years I feel like ago. they did something like that recently. Maybe. Um, but yeah, they were starting to go around the track or something, or they were maybe on pace laps and the red hot chili peppers were doing a concert that that had to be a long time ago because NASCAR couldn't get the red hot chili peppers. Now these days, they're playing like bingo halls. Now red hot chili peppers, the red hot chili peppers were a larger, bigger band 20 years ago than they are now. And they got them, you know, uh, back then, when they were more, much right. more relevant. I'm, I'm Googling it as we speak too. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, you know, anyway, I, I, my point is this has been done before, uh, and you know, it's an exhibition. Why, why get upset about an exhibition? It's not supposed to 2006. This is 2006. Oh my God. Jordan, that was 16 years ago. Oh God. We're so old. If we can remember that, that well, I don't remember it. So I wow. don't feel old. You may feel old, but I don't. Oh, you don't remember no. it. You said, I you said, th oh, I feel like recently. this happened that was... recently though. Like there was something 
Maybe it wasn't NASCAR, but there was another form of racing. Maybe it was an IndyCar. It was between races at the NASCAR Nextel Challenge at Lowe's Motor Speedway in Charlotte. Wow. Between races, yes. Whatever. Oh, what did they do? Wasn't it this year at the All-Star? Oh, oh, it was between segments. This is what What it says. What did they do this year, though? All-Star race. At the All-Star race at Texas. Didn't they have a band and it, like, segued right into the start of the race? That's what I'm thinking, though. Yeah, maybe. Okay, anyway. I kind of erased the Texas All-Star race from my memory. Well, it's coming back. uh... Yeah, the Red Hot Chili Peppers performed a concert between segments two and three at the NASCAR All-Star race 2006. So what's the difference between with this? It's a mid-race concert. It's an exhibition. Ice Cube. L.A. Coliseum, West Coast. I mean, that's great. On it's phenomenal. Big Fox. I, I like it. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So cool. And he tweeted it out. Come to the Coliseum. Join me. I'm going to be doing the concert. Like he has like six million Twitter followers. This is cool. This is great. This is so much better. And like, listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Ice Cube is. He's not the A-list star that he was. You know, he's not that A-list music sensation. But this is much better than what NASCAR typically does for these things. Like, this is great. This isn't some country artist. This isn't some, like, B-list, C-list rock and roller who is, you know, like, you know, 70 years old and, like, ready to be put in a nursing home. This is Ice Cube. This is cool. 5.6 million Twitter followers. I just looked it up. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's pretty significant. Uh, yeah. I, and I agree with you about the uh the country artists who they you know what, what's funny now is when, when they announce like country artists for like a, a concert you can google <laughs> and be like wait is that hasn't that guy come to a race before and you like google that person's name with nascar and it'll be like so and so to play a kansas pre-race so and so to play the kentucky pre-race so and so to play charlotte pre-race so and so to play you know you're like oh yeah this this is this guy's fifth nascar race in the last two years or something like, and you know, I'm, I'm showing my ignorance of country music. I'm not as into it as I, as I once was. And uh, a lot of people, these people I don't, I've never heard of. And I'm like, who, why is this supposed to sell tickets? Like, I don't no. get like, yeah, I, I just don't get the whole thing. I, I've said it before. Um, like when F1 is, you know, having a, a race weekend and they're bringing in Taylor Swift and Justin Timberlake and some other big names and you're looking at this like, wait a second. Don't start with the F1 again. We've we've angered so many people with our F1 comparisons. I haven't angered you. Don't wanna, we don't You're the one who gets into hot water. Oh, oh I guess I have. Angered, yeah. <laughs> I, on the other hand, I, I haven't angered anybody. I'm a good boy on this, on this side of things. <laughs> um, speaking of F1, this week it came out that uh, FIA, well, they, they, kind of, they kind of said, yeah, we're we're still investigating. Uh, here's an update on the investigation. Still investigating. An update to the uh, update. Basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it was it wasn't much, but the rumors persist that uh, Lewis Hamilton, as this time has gone on, has gotten more and more disillusioned with F1. Um, man, I really I really hope that whatever the outcome of their investigation is, it's satisfactory. And, and you know, I, I saw some some of the the British writers or, or the F1 media, I guess maybe one and the same in a way, but. Uh, make the point that at this point, like just firing Michael Massey, that's, you know, they have to completely change the regulations of when they deploy the safety car and, and all that stuff. So, um, you know, F1 has decided as a collective industry and fan base and people in, in, in that world, this cannot happen again. Uh, they, they, this was a, a bridge too far for them. That's, that's the one thing we know from everything that's happened, this reaction, uh, this absolutely cannot be happened again. This uh, they cannot have the championship outcome 
or the race's outcome, uh, you know, manipulated in this way. And so they're going to make sure the rules are crystal clear and that's what they're trying to come up with. But I hope they come up with a satisfactory result. And then Lewis Hamilton comes back to challenge Verstappen next year, because that, you know, if he just, you know, the, the whole thing about still we rise and all that stuff, I mean, it would ring so hollow if he just like, nah, screw this. I'm, I'm done. Um, I really want to see him come back and fight. Uh, just even if it's one more season of retirement season, whatever, go for that eighth championship. Maybe he redeems himself. Maybe Verstappen kicks his butt. Um, maybe somehow McLaren or whoever rises up with the new car regulations and Lando's up there con- contending or something, but maybe it's George Russell. I-, I don't know. But the bottom line is without Lewis Hamilton there, it would just seem like what an empty, empty feeling for everybody. So uh, I hope he comes back and I hope they, they resolve it, but it sure has taken a while for something that shouldn't seem that, I mean, I don't know what you have to investigate that much longer. No, I mean, it was a pretty clear cut what happened and you do have to rewrite the regulations. The problem with this timeline is that it will not be finalized as in they will not, things will not be voted on by the world sporting council. I believe it's called until like three days before the start of the F1 season. So, you know, it's like you've had all off season, you had almost all of December, you've got all of January, all of February. It's like, why are you dragging your feet on this? This should be a pretty clear cut thing from our world where we cover NASCAR. Things are pretty, you know, it, it doesn't always get drawn out like this. Like it's pretty clear cut and it, things can change pretty quickly. Um, I'm surprised it's happening this way. I'm not surprised in the sense that this is formula one. This is what they do. They always operate in their own timeline and a lot of their decisions never make any sense. And this just seems like another one and they just cannot stay out of their own way. End of the day, I don't think it's going to matter, though. I, mean, I think they're, they're continuing to race fans or just be like, you know, it is what it is. Mercedes has moved on and, and to some regard. The, the, the Lewis Hamilton point, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to retire. I have no inside information or anything, but it seems like it, it, unless we're not knowing something, but, you know, Mercedes doesn't have a plan in place. It doesn't sound like what, I, what I've read and that they have someone like if, if Hamilton retires, what do they do? It's like, it feels like he's going to come back. They're just kind of working through this right now. So he, if he came back and, and retired after the 2022 season, I don't think anybody would be surprised, but I do like, I would like to see him come back. I'd like to see him win an eighth championship. I think it's a great story. And then for him to walk away after that would be, would be quite the, uh, the send off. Yeah. And honestly, to NASCAR's credit, they've gotten way better than they used to be on like addressing certain things. Like if this had happened in NASCAR, um, you know, like back, back in the, uh, uh, in the spin gate Richmond days, <laughs> I remember trying to talk to, uh, I think it was, I, think I went and talked to John Darby, um, right after in the aftermath of the race questioning NASCAR on like, um, you know, did you think that was intentional? And did you think, you know, the Boyer was told to do it and, and the Vickers stuff and all, all these things. And I mean, he was like, pretty much in denial mode, like nothing happened here, you know, kind of, I don't even know what you're talking about. It was like almost like a gaslighting type situation, which NASCAR that always used to be how it was like when you'd question them on things. But then I think recently, um, over the last couple of years, NASCAR, you know, if, if they make a mistake or something during a race with race control, they'll they'll come out Mm -hmm. like Coda this year, they, they shouldn't have run it. Um, while it was still raining and they came out, Scott Miller, right after the race said, yeah, we, we messed up, yeah. you know, I mean, basically said like, there's much yeah. more accountability and not to harp on this, but like we've talked about it. Like we, we were, they were very adamant that this was the horsepower aero package we're going to do. And then they changed course kind of abruptly when they realized that this wasn't going to work. This is a much more different 
NASCAR, it's more receptive to change. And I give them credit for that. And Formula One has not learned that adoptability yet. And that's unfortunate because when you have incidents like this, accountability needs to be there and it's not. When there's something, when there's something that happens that is clearly uh, egregious or wrong and everybody, you know, watching it, wait, you know, stuff that's happened in the NFL playoffs this weekend, you know, refs miss calls or, you know, inadvertent whistle and stuff. And, and people at first go, oh, that's not, no, there's nothing to see here kind of thing. The outcry only grows and grows and grows until somebody finally comes out and goes, yeah, we screwed up. If you come out pretty much immediately and say, you know, yeah, this, this, you know, this is a mistake. We apologize. It takes sort of the teeth out of it because people go, I mean, not everybody is forgiving obviously. And if it could screw up somebody's race, but people tend to go, you know what? Everybody's human. They, they said this, this was their happened. explanation. This happened. They're going to try to fix it for next time. They feel bad. It, it wasn't intentional. They weren't trying to favor some, some driver over another or some, you know, if it's, you know, the referees weren't trying to favor some football team over another team, whatever. Um, that takes a lot of the the sting away from it and, and it removes some of like the, the post-race or post-game outcry. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think NASCAR's done much better with that. And, uh, that's, that's been good to see F1, uh, clearly has some things to clean up in that area. Um, Jordan, any final thoughts as we, uh, are already in the, in the second half of January, this is fast start to the new year here. Yeah. Racing season's here. Chili bowl just happened Uh roar for before the 24 at Daytona is going to be this coming weekend. Hall of fame ceremony. Rolex 24 is right around the corner. Clash is coming up. It's just racing season's here. Yep. I was already, uh, I was mapping out our upcoming podcasts and, um, yeah, I think we only have like after this all something like only two more podcasts until, uh, the clash podcast, something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's coming, it's coming really fast. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's weird. Cause it still seems like so far away that I'm not really getting like too amped up for it yet. Um, but man, it's going to be here. Yeah. I just looked it up. We have uh next weekend. We'll do a podcast the week after we'll do a podcast. And then the one after that is the post-race clash podcast. Three weeks, baby. Wow. Amazing. Anyway, um, listen, we appreciate all of you. Uh, Oh, you know, Jordan, we, uh, we, we actually can't go yet. We, we should probably talk about this. Uh, the, the big news people have tweeted about us. It, it came out uh, pretty much right after our podcast last week, I think after we recorded, um, as you guys have probably seen, um, the New York times is acquiring the athletic where we work. We got a lot of questions on, uh, Oh, is, is that going to change things for you guys? Uh, we've since had two calls, uh, with management, um, not us, but the whole company and, uh, even the, the CEO of the New York times, uh, we've been told it's really not going to change much for us in our impression at all. Um, we're going to be separate from the New York times as far as separate newsrooms. Um, they're not going to be telling us what to write or podcast about. Um, they have their own sports department. Um, they're obviously in the subscription business as well. So there's some synergy there. They could eventually, you know, bundle things. They said on the, the investor call they had, because uh, New York Times is a public company, so they had to sort of talk about all this stuff, and I, I listened to that. But um, we're we're separate, um, and so I, I saw a lot of concern over that. You know, are you going to say you're Jeff Gluck from the New York Times now? No, I'm I'm not. We were told, in fact, don't say that because that's not what you are. You're from the Athletic. 
uh, our email addresses are still the athletic. Um, so yeah, we're not expecting a lot of change. We feel pretty good about what we've heard so far. They're going to continue to invest and grow in the athletic. Uh, we, we were told, so we're hoping that means hiring more people, maybe even expanding our racing coverage, hopefully down the road as they take over. But, um, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're optimistic. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, Jordan, but it sounds, sounds like we just were acquired, but it's not going to change anything. Is that your impression? Uh, that is my impression. And optimistic is, is a very good word. Feel, feel very good with the news and how things develop. And I don't know about you, but I did get a phone call from my mom. Very excited that I worked for the New York times. And she thought it was like a great thing. Like her son now worked for the New York times. And I'm like, I'm actually mom. Um, let's pump the brakes on that a little bit. That's not quite the case. And she was a little disappointed. Yeah, I got I got the same thing from from some relatives and uh, friends of like, wow, your 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 racing coverage might be in the New York Times now. No, they told us um, it's it's just a totally different totally different thing. They're not going to be using our stories. We're, we're not we don't work for the New York Times. We work for the Athletic. So it, the Athletic is owned by the New York Times, or it will be shortly after they close the deal. But and also, if anybody's wondering, they didn't tell us to talk about this or tell us not to talk about it, but we just did on our own because we feel like we need to be. We, we see your tweets and questions about it, so we should address it. So we just did. We like to be transparent. It, yes. We just talked about transparency and being able to adapt to different situations. I mean, you're transparent about your bar habits, picking up women, about shots being fired into your apartment, um, about all sorts of things that happen in our lives. Yeah, my off-track so, lifestyle is its quite... Uh, I've got a lot of adventures, let's just say. Yeah, save it for your book. <laughs> Anyway, uh, everybody, we appreciate you as always for listening. Love to see all the feedback and, uh, yeah, you definitely keep us going every week and it was fun to see, uh, all the reactions from last episode and stuff and your enthusiasm that the podcast is back now. We're excited too, excited for this year. And, um, yeah, so thanks for listening. We will talk to you next time on the tear. Down.